This is a special night. We have made it all the way to the book. The end of the book of Exodus. Um, yeah! um, and it's okay because if some of you are thinking, I was done with Exodus like seven weeks ago. I understand. I had moments like that pretty much from the beginning to the end where I was like, Exodus has been hard. And, but I hope that you see that going from the beginning to the end of a book, you can really understand the whole picture of what's going on. Now, what we're going to talk about also tonight is that the end of Exodus isn't the end, right? Exodus is actually a combination of a five-book narrative called the, the Torah that's given, okay? So that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So all those books are telling one long story. And Exodus is just a piece of that story. So we actually did Genesis a while back, and now we're doing Exodus, and next... Just kidding, guys. We're not going to do Leviticus. But I hope that you do see tonight this, that what we're going to end with talking about tonight is why Leviticus is actually important. It's why the book is where it is, and why what is in there is super important for us to know and to study. Okay? So... That's what I want you to see that first for tonight is that Exodus is book two of a five book series. So when we end tonight, it's not like that's the end of the story. No, there's actually three more books that continue that story because tonight doesn't end in the promised land yet. Right. They're still going toward the promised land. That's not the end of Exodus. Um, That will be the end of Deuteronomy. So with that in mind. Uh, I also want you to remember the story of Exodus itself is a picture of the overall scriptures. And that's been the cool thing that we've gone back and forth on as we've studied Exodus. Is that if you look at the whole Bible, all of it from Genesis all the way to Revelation, the story is what? Who, Who thinks they can tell me... The story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation in a sentence or two. This is going to be hard. Does anyone think they can do it? A sentence or two. Can it be compound sentence? Sure. Yeah, go ahead. That's a good start. That's one sentence. I'll give you another sentence. Does anyone want another sentence? Can I take another sentence? Another sentence. One more sentence. Anyone with another sentence? God provides mercy. Okay. He does provide. She, she said that he provides a son, right? Saves us from sin. Yes? And he's coming back again, right? That he's coming back to restore all things. To bring it all the way back around. What does the Bible start with? It starts with Eden. When God and man live together perfectly. And it ends with the same story. That man and God will once again live together in perfect community. And so that is the long story of the book. And so in the book of Exodus, we get that microcosm, if you know that word, or just picture of what's happening in the whole Bible, right? 
Where are the Israelites when we open up the book of Exodus, chapter 1? They're in Egypt, and they're what? And they're slaves, right? They are slaves in Egypt when we open up the book of Exodus. What happens to them in, Ex- in, in Egypt? What happens to them in Egypt? What does God do? Yeah, I heard it. He saves them. I promise it's not that hard. I know you all know the answers. It's one of those where like, I don't want to say the wrong thing. Um, he rescues them, right? God sees them. Remember we talked about he hears them. And he comes and he rescues his people. And he pulls them out of Egypt. And he pulls them out of slavery. So that what? Why does he pull them out of Egypt and out of slavery? One, because he doesn't want his people suffering, right? But there's a bigger picture here. What does he want for his people? So they can serve him. Serve and, starts with a W, worship him, right? Because they couldn't do it in Egypt. They were slaves. Their time was not their own. And so God has drawn them out. This is key, because I'm going to say this again often tonight. He has drawn them out to draw them in. And God has done the same thing throughout the whole Bible. God has drawn his people out of sin and death. And he has saved them through Jesus. So that what? So that they can worship and serve him. And so that they can be with him perfectly again. And that's the story that we get in Exodus, but it's really the story of the whole Bible, right? So the main point, you guys can go ahead and flip open to Exodus chapter 40. Uh, The main point for tonight that I want you to see from Exodus 40 is that everything God is doing is so that he can dwell with us. Everything that God is doing is is so that he can dwell with them and that he can dwell with us. And that's what we're going to see here in the end of Exodus chapter 40. Okay, so we're going to start a little bit before Exodus, um, the the section we're going to more look at tonight just to give some context for what's happening. So we're going to start in verse 16. This is a little bit of a long section, so just hang with me. The tabernacle, which we've been talking about, is being finished. What is the purpose of the tabernacle? Does anyone know? Purpose of the tabernacle. Worship God. Okay, to worship God. A place to worship God, right? We talked about the holy place and the holy of holy place. And what is about to happen is God is about to come down on the tabernacle. Okay? All right, so Moses is about to complete the tabernacle. And starting in verse 16, it says... Moses did according to all the Lord commanded him. In the first month, in the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. Moses erected the tabernacle. He laid its bases and set its frames and put in its poles and raised up its pillars. And he spread the tent over the tabernacle and he put the covering of the tent over it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He took the testimony and put it into the ark. And the poles on the ark and set the mercy seat above on the ark. And he, bought, and he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up the veil of the screen and screened the ark of the testimony as the Lord had commanded Moses. 
He put the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the veil and arranged the bread on it before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. You notice that phrase keeps coming back as the Lord commanded Moses. He put the lampstand on the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle and set up the lamps before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the golden altar in the tent of meeting before the veil and burned fragrant incense on it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put in place the screen for the door of the tabernacle and he set the altar of burnt offering at the entrance of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and offered on it the burnt offering and the grain offering as the Lord had commanded Moses. He set the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing with which Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet when they went into the tent of meeting and when they approached the altar, they washed as the Lord commanded Moses. And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. I think about this moment. I think about y'all probably don't know this show. There used to be this show where like you get to the end of the show and there was this really um, exciting phrase that everyone yelled out. It was, move that bus! Anybody? Anybody watch this? Yes. You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. These people would take someone's home and completely redo it, right? And they would move them out somewhere else, and then they would bring them back, and they'd have this big bus sitting in front of them, and they'd be like, move that bus, and the bus would move out of the way, and the home was like, brand new. That's what I feel like we should be understanding here in this moment. It's like... Everything that they've talked about for like 20 chapters is finally happening. They're putting everything where it needs to go. They're putting all the stakes in the ground, the ropes and the tents and everything is going up. And here it is. This has been the moment we have worked for. And Moses has been listening diligently to what the Lord has asked him to do. And he has put the tent together. And it's going to be called the tabernacle. But... It's not finished yet. Because right now, in this point in time, it's just a tent with some things in it. What sets this tent apart is what we're about to read. Is that this is not just any other tent. This isn't just any other place of meeting. This is the place where the glory of God will come down and dwell. This tent will become the place that God invades earth. So let's keep reading. Um, Exodus 40, starting in verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent. Everyone remember the cloud? It's coming over the tent now. The cloud covers the tent, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because The cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Okay. Think about this for a second, because these these are just words we're reading. Really try to picture what is happening. You have been waiting. You've heard from Moses that you're building this tabernacle, and... Something about the possibility of God coming down to dwell this tabernacle right in front of you. It would be like them erecting this tabernacle in the middle of your neighborhood and you're walking outside and all of a sudden, 
glory of God has come down. And there's this moment for the people, some of fear and some of wonder, right? And the cloud has covered it as the glory has come down. And we also read here that Moses can't get in. Remember the guy that's like been a part of everything? He even can't move in yet. Because this is God and his full glory come down. So there are two things that I want us to see from this passage. The first one is, what an awesome, magnificent, amazing day. Like, you know, like your best day, go ahead and multiply it by a hundred. The spirit of God has come down to us. If you're an Israelite. And you're seeing it in front of you. This was a special day. This is a special day. Glory comes down. The glory Moses saw at the beginning of chapter 3. Remember the small glory that was in the burning bush. You remember the glory that descended on Sinai. That mountain with all the storms and stuff at the top that only Moses could go up to. The glory that passed by Moses that we... you hopefully talked about in your groups, but the glory that passed by Moses when he said, let me see you. And God says, you can't see me. You can maybe see the back of my robe. And even that was almost too much for Moses. That glory has come down to dwell in the midst of the Israelites. It says in verse 34, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. So it should lead us into wonder. Okay, all this amazing stuff is happening. Moses seeing what's happening is all of a sudden like sweet. And he's like running at the cloud, right? Because Moses is become a little bit maybe used to this because he's been, you know, going up and down with the mountain. So he's running at the tabernacle and he's like, hits a wall, can't get in. Well, I don't know about you, but if Moses isn't allowed in, he's probably not going to allow me in either. Like, we're talking about Moses here. So what's the issue? Why can't Moses get in? The reason Moses can't get in is why we have the book of Leviticus. So Leviticus 1, 1 and 2, listen to this. After all this has happened, the Lord called out to Moses from the tabernacle and spoke to him and says, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd and from the flock. You see, when we enter into the glory of the Lord, we cannot enter in as sinful people. It doesn't matter whether you're Moses or you're me. The only way we're allowed into the presence of God is by being washed clean. It's by being forgiven of our sin. And in this moment, Moses is stopped and he's told we have to make a sacrifice. To cover you. To make a payment for your sin. Yes. So that technically means like a newborn baby is technically somehow watered in there. He can see God. Well, no. He would have been stopped too. But how would a newborn baby be stopped? He has like done anything. Uh, 
So this is a longer discussion, but let's talk afterwards. I, I have an answer for you. Okay. Um, <clears throat> all right. So this was a magnificent day. God had more, though, here. He fulfilled his promise with his glory. They saw this. It fell in the holy place, but not even Moses could enter because God's splendor fell so thick and full. As magnificent as this moment was, guess what? A better moment was coming. And that better moment that came is actually what we're celebrating right now in this season. The glory of God came down again in the person of Jesus. It was a magnificent day. Did, we, did a lot of people know? Not really. Did he sleep in like a dirt, mud hut? Yes. But it was a magnificent day because the glory of God had come in the person of Jesus. The reason why this is a glorious day is um, I'm going to read from the account of the shepherds that were told by the angels what was happening. So they told them this. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord. Remember, ding, 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 glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring good news of great joy that there will be for all the people. For unto you it is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel and a multitude of them in the heavenly host praising God and saying this. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. And we see again in John 1.14. And the word became flesh, word meaning Jesus. And Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is on the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, the tabernacle was pointing to something better. The tabernacle wasn't just a one-off experience when it came down and rested with the people. The tabernacle pointed to something better because here was the issue with the tabernacle, right? They were going to have to continually make sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. And they were looking towards a perfect Sacrifice, And that perfect sacrifice came in the person of Jesus. And God, as scripture tells us, his spirit came and dwelled on Christ as he came. So <clears throat> after this, though, we get a, a third installment. So Christ comes, glory comes down. And then after this, what happens? Jesus says, I'm going away. And there will be another that will come. Again, the glory has come down from heaven, but this time on the church. And in Acts 2, the glory comes down again in the person of the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit comes and dwells with the people for the first time. This is the Spirit that came down here in Exodus is coming down on the church. And that Spirit came and it was a magnificent day. It was a magnificent day. Here's the account from Acts 2. 
When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Sound familiar? And it filled the entire house that they were sitting, and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit had given them utterance. The same dwelling that came down in the tabernacle, which the Israelites had to offer many sacrifices to even get close to it, not even into the Holy of Holies, but just close to it. That spirit has fallen on us. So as we read this about the tabernacle in verse or chapter 40, I want you to see that. What, what does this have to do with me? It has everything to do with you. Because it's your story that the glory of God has come down and lives inside of you. Think about that. They weren't even allowed in, and that same glory has come to live in you and the Holy Spirit. Okay, so <clears throat> the second thing I want you to see is that this is not the end. But God will lead and guide us to the end. So for the promised land, right? We talked about that this isn't the end for the Israelites. God has promised to take them to the promised land. Okay? So <clears throat> the cloud lifts and they leave. So let's continue in, verse, in chapter 40, verses uh, 36. It says, Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle day, and the fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So this is the cloud lifts, and the people will leave. And as the cloud sits there, as the cloud is there, we're staying here. So God is still leading and guiding his people it's not up to the Israelites, though, and I think that's important here because it's going to be important for us here in a second when I start talking about the Holy Spirit guiding us. When the cloud lifted, they left. And when the cloud sat, they stayed. It wasn't like, uh, not here. Can we go like a couple more days down the road? It was like, no, this is the time. We're staying here. God was their guide. And sometimes... God's way and plan doesn't make sense to us. It probably didn't make sense to the Israelites. If you, don't, if you remember at the very beginning when they started wandering through the desert, God stopped them from going a certain way and went and sent them another way because he knew that they would turn around if they went that way. And see, this is true still today of us, right? We don't trust that God's plan is faithful. We don't trust that God's plan is good. And God may have taken the Israelites the long way, but it was the way that they needed to go. They may have spent 40 years in the desert, but it's what they needed. So God is guiding them, even in uncomfortable conditions. How often did they have to be thinking, are we sure this God knows what he's doing? Right? Think about this. You're following this cloud for 40 years. At some point, you're probably thinking, all right, God, we got to have a little chat. Are you lost? Like, do you know where you're going? Okay. How often have you done that yourself? Right? 
You looked at what's going on in your life or what's going on in someone else's life and you wish it was true of your life. And you kind of want to have that little powwow with God. Hey, it's okay. We all make mistakes. God's like, no, I didn't make a mistake. This was the plan. I just need you to continue to follow me. And I will guide you and I will lead you. I need you to be obedient. Again, he's drawing them out to draw them in. The second way that this happens is Christ. Christ comes. Again, he is leading his people. How does he draw them out? He draws them out in Christ. Christ draws them out because Christ's life, death, and resurrection pays for their sin. Christ is the guiding light that comes down, again, in the, in the person of the baby that we um, celebrate for Christmas and in the man that ends up dying. He lived as a man. He was a carpenter. He invested his life into 12 people. He was crucified and buried. Do you ever think that he... Or not he, but the people around him may have been thinking, I don't know if this is the right plan. I think we could have come up with something better. It was the right plan. And Jesus was faithful to trust the Lord over and over and over again. When the Spirit said go, he was going to go. When the Spirit said stay, he would stay. When the Spirit said to talk, he would speak. When the Spirit said to heal, he would heal. Are we sure that God knows what he's doing? Nope. Sometimes we're not. But I want to talk about also the resurrection here. That the resurrection is the moment in time that these Israelites were waiting up until to guide them, right? Jesus, they were ready, like, okay, we're ready to go take on the Romans. And Jesus is like, nope, actually the plan is different. The cloud is going to sit We're not moving. You're going to stay right here. I'm going to leave you and send another. And they're thinking, wait, 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 what? No, 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 no. You're you're confused again. This is the same thing that's happening in Exodus 40, right? That the people will follow the cloud as it lifts and as it comes down. And they're going to follow the presence of God that dwells with them. So again, he's drawing us out to draw us in. And then the last way he does that is the Holy Spirit leading and guiding us towards the new heavens and the new earth. Now that we have been washed clean from sin and the penalty of death, which sin brings, has trampled under what Christ has done. Here comes the presence of God again. The Holy Spirit comes down at Pentecost that we just read. The God who lives among his people is the God who will lead and guide to Canaan in fulfillment of the promise to the patriarchs, which we just read about. And to speak of a journey is to look for an arrival. He who began the work of salvation for Israel will complete it, and he will complete it in you too. That is at once the hope and the confidence of the people of God as they move forward from Sinai, and therefore it is our hope too. The hope is that God is going to lead us home. Here is possibly your question and the difficulty. Well, it's a lot easier to follow a cloud than a spirit that I can't see. Like if I was an Israelite, they kind of have a better situation. Like they got the cloud, like the cloud goes up, I know to go. The cloud's down, we're not going anywhere. And you're telling me I have some like Holy Spirit that's living inside of me. What am I supposed to do with that? Guys, I want you to hear me. We have so much better 
than they could have ever dreamed of as the Spirit of God lives inside of you. The Spirit that came down in the full glory lives in you. We can have, what we have can be so much better. I want to read a couple verses that point this out. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? See, the tabernacle they spent a really long time building, you are now that tabernacle. You are now the dwelling place of God among man. And his spirit has come and been put inside of you if you are a believer. John 14, 16 and 17 says, And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom you could not receive because it neither sees him or knows him. And then Acts 1, 8 But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and to the ends of the earth. The Spirit of God lives in you. So as we read Exodus 40, that event is important because it was the first showing of God coming down and residing with his people And it's a pointing to Christ coming down and residing with his people and then the Holy Spirit coming down and residing in you and me. That glory has come down and that glory has chosen to take place and home and rest in you. See, the problem is that we usually just think we're just some normal person. Not much more than cells and flesh and bones. But if you're a believer in this room, that's not true. The Spirit of God lives in you. You have been made special. You have been made treasured. You have been made holy. You have been washed clean by the blood of Christ so that he can come and live with you. This God has gone to all the lengths to have you be his and him to be with you. You know how much we chase in this life after wanting people to just want to be with us? Can you just want to be with me and accept me and love me? Christ has done that. God has done that. And he did it in the face of you doing nothing. In fact, in the face of our sin and rebellion. And has chosen to live inside of you and to dwell with you, and to be present with you. So if you're a believer in this room tonight, the one thing I don't want you to ever think is that God is far away. He's not. He has come down to be with you. It also means that he has empowered you to live in obedience. The same spirit that hovered over the waters at creation that came and filled the tabernacle, that led and empowered Jesus, that came down in tongues of fire at Pentecost, lives in you if you have put faith in Jesus. This Holy Spirit, which is from God, will now be our guide, changing agent of our heart, our finisher, our carrier, and our reminder that God is faithful to the promise. He's drawing us out to one day fully draw us in, So the question now is, what do we do with that 
How do we live now? How does this change how you go to school tomorrow? How you live this weekend? How you celebrate Christmas? There's two things I think that are important. The first is to be faithful to your callings. That God has brought his spirit to dwell in you so that you could be faithful. So the question now is, well, what has he called me to? In your season of life, I thought of three things. You may think of more. I'm sure there's more. But I thought of three main ones that he's called you to be faithful in. School. He's called you to be faithful in school. He's called you to be faithful as a child. That you have parents that you're being called to obedience, faithful obedience to. And he's called you to be faithful as a friend. And he's given you his spirit to be able to be faithful. He's not asking you to do it yourself. That's why he's given you his spirit. Is to be empowered to do these things well. And then the second thing I thought as how we go out from here is that we live as people of courage. The spirit that lives inside of you, Timothy tells us, is not a spirit that is afraid. The spirit that lives inside you is one of courage. It's to courageously step into situations that are uncomfortable. It's the spirit to finally ask the friend that you have just watched hurt if you can pray for them. It's the courage to step into the lunchroom and to say hey to the person who you know has been sitting alone for a really long time. It's the courage to get up in the morning and to open your Bible. It's the courage to take, sometimes the Lord in the Spirit gives us thoughts like, oh, I should really encourage them, or I should write them a letter, or I should help my parents with this, or I should call that person. You know when you have those thoughts? The Spirit is speaking. Be courageous and say yes. What typically ends up happening is we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Oh, go on to something else. When you get prompted to do something like that, do it. Be courageous. Step out. The spirit of God living inside of you has empowered you to do so. This probably happens to you sometimes, too. The reverse can happen where... There are seasons of your life where someone else has chosen to be courageous. They've chosen to come into your current situation to speak encouragement to you when you needed it. I thought about recently, I had a a moment in the last couple months where I was just just struggling. I was kind of just feeling um, run down. And at that exact moment where it it was pretty bad, I had a conference that I was going to and I got to sit down with a couple friends who were also youth pastors and the things they spoke over me was exactly what I needed in that season and the same thing can be true for you you may have seasons where someone else has been courageous and stepped out and they've said something to you of encouragement they've reminded you that the Lord is faithful when you needed to be reminded so two things Be faithful. God has empowered you to do so. You don't have to do it on your own strength. Be faithful as a um, child. 
be faithful in school, be faithful with a friend. You may think of some others. And then the last one, be courageous. The Spirit of God in Exodus 40 that we see here that comes down this magnificent day, this wondrous moment where they get to see the glory of God. I hope that you see that tonight. Possibly you're in you. That what has happened in you, if you are a believer in this room, is a glorious moment. The Spirit of God dwells in you. Don't just push it away. Ignore it. Step into these things.